have walked with John tell that story about Jesus relating to two different people in the first century. He's relating to Jewish people leading the city of Jerusalem right outside the temple. Jesus is relating to um, a very strong worldwide identity right at the center of their they worship. And that strong identity was bound to the laws of Moses and was bound to a very strict way of life with diets and with habits throughout each day and especially banquet John is telling us this story not just to Christians and Jews. He is telling this story. He is writing his gospel in the first century a whole other audience. Listening in to this scene that goes down in John chapter 9, that audience is an audience of highly sophisticated Gentiles in the Greek and Roman world. They are philosophical, they are filled with cutting edge ideas, and among those ideas are the teachings of Gnosticism that go something like this. The body isn't important. Physical life isn't what really matters. In fact, our bodies are the barriers that we have to rise above, barriers to our true selves in our spirit. And what we really need is illumination in our minds, which has become the dominant philosophy in Greek culture. That is seen in John's writing. He is writing about Jesus talking to what we would see as narrow religious people. And he's writing about those stories to Gentiles who we would see as broad, cutting-edge people. In other words, the first century that John is writing to is a lot like today. We've got groups going narrower and narrower into rules and regulations and religion as a way of forming their identity against everyone then we have another group of people who want to aspire to be cutting edge, rise above all of those old prejudices, and realize the full potential of human beings. And we've got those people on the Saturday today. John is writing to those. And he is writing this story about two outcasts. Both
that you go to John. John says Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one who comes and brings that illumination when all of you are seeking. But look at how he brought it. He put mud on a man's eyes and thought that his physical body was important enough to heal and restore and make whole. We bring light just by ignoring the man whose physical body was brought in light to by healing him physically. So Jesus, in John's presentation, is a double outsider. An outsider of Jews and an outsider coming over to God. The other outsider is, of course, the man born blind himself. He's an outsider to Jewish society because he's a beggar. He's not able to be productive. There is a place for the needy society. It's at the bottom of the ladder. He will be an object of pity, and that's all he will ever be. He will never contribute. He will never decide. He has a box, and his job is to beg. So he's an outsider to the mainstream Jewish life. And as John tells the story, this man becomes not just uh, an outsider in Jewish life. He is actually cast out of the Jewish nation. Rejoices in it and, and thrives because of what Jesus has done in physically healing. If you were to ask this blind man, don't you really just need to overcome your body through mental and philosophical enlightenment? He sits there in his dirt receiving tithes and taxes. Why? What did Jesus tell this man? I'll take the physical healing thing very much so you can keep your enlightenment. I'll realize my potential by physical sight. And that is what Jesus gave to him. There are two double outsiders. They don't fit anywhere in the story that John is writing about. And that is why we are talking about this reality in Scripture that we are in, because many of us here today see Jesus at work in our lives. But no one is listening to us because the things that Jesus does with us cleansing our sins, making us whole, actually can pit us against the people of Jesus and can actually become a threat as this blind man, once he is healed, becomes a threat to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees. Many of us can see 
again, who is John talking to here? And we're looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. John begins his story with this question. The true light, which enlightens everyone, is coming into the world. We've been talking philosophical people who want enlightenment. They want to realize their potential. And John is saying, I've got this out. He's the light of the world. And he brings enlightenment to everyone. He was coming into the world. The word Jesus there is very important. He doesn't say he was coming to Israel. He was coming to the nation of, uh, out of which descended from the line of David. We don't consider that as Jesus. Luke does, but not John. He says, true light is coming into the world. The whole created world, every single nation can see him, no matter who they are, all nations. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world That's a barrier between us and God. This is what uh, the people believed until the in the first century. And John says, oh no, the true light enlightens everyone. Amazing. The physical world. Yet the world did not know him. He came, he came to his own and his own people. Now who is that? It is certainly Israel. But in the context of everything that John has said, it's going to fall to the whole world. Why? Because he made it all. He's the creator of all life. And so what John is saying here is he went into his own creation, walked among all of them, and his own did not receive him. But they received him. John is saying, Believe in you. I trust you. Your name 
your signature on all of our promises being up for me. Your handshake is all I need. Your word is everything I need. And all I depend on. I believe in you. So we can say that we believe. What what is interesting is if you believe in the same day, the right.
keep those laws securely hidden from you. You didn't want them? Well, you know them now. And then he gives those covenants with a very concrete understanding. Jesus has called him the Slayer of Man. He has done incredible things for me. He has saved me from all of these that were described by He has saved me from death. He has spared me disease. He has given me healing from death. He has provided for me when I didn't provide for myself. He has done all of these things. And you look at your life and say, I see Jesus at work at this point, this point, and this point. So, what do I do next? Well, the first question Jesus has for me this morning is, do we have closure yet? Are you a child of God? Have you believed in my name? Or do you know and acknowledge you, Jesus, are my maker? I belong to you. I am a part of the family. This is what he has in one And who is he, sir, that I may believe in? Well, you may wonder, well, there's people in the Bible that these things are always, are they always this rude uh, assertion? It's back and forth. They're just questioning each other all the time. I think it helps, actually, in reading uh, the Gospels. Uh, it's so easy in the Jewish culture as they are. Uh, the, the, the man born blind, the Jewish man, the Greek, the Jewish man. For us to understand this, I think it just helps us hear this with a broken accent. I think it makes this whole thing make so much more sense. And no, I can't do it. I, you see, I say that. I want your imagination to get going because I, I can't imagine it. And I'm not even trying. So that's what we've got here. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Is he? So far in the story, Jesus put a bunch of mud on his eyes with cream. He sent him away to walk in a pool, a pool called Siloam, in sense. And so the, the guy was let off and did that and washed him in that pool. And he came back and he cleaned his feet. Felt his fingers and cut his foot. This is the moment when physically he says to Jesus, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Here's the, the amazing thing Jesus said. Verse 37. Jesus said to him, You have seen me, and he is speaking to you. You've seen him, all right. I am he. I'm the one that put the mud on your eyes. So do you believe? Verse 38. A verse like this becomes wallpaper in your Christian mind and you're ashamed what you're talking about. So I'm really to look at verse 38. Jesus says, Lord, 
not just the tragic but as his family, that he can stick up for him. You know, it's the whole world. It's the, Jew, it's the Gentile audience reading the Gospel of John, and Jesus is the itching finger coming out of the page and saying, this is you I'm talking to. This is why I came to all nations. That's it. And he goes into it. That's it. I came to those who do not Miracles that Jesus did repeatedly was to heal people. He came for that reason. He's also talking about the fact that he, the Creator, is in the world, but the world does not know him. So he's talking about the feeling of experiencing and knowing. He's saying that I came to those who do not see me like you. They see. They see well enough to put you in a box to hold you there and to cut you off when you need to show up. They think they see. They think they understand everything that needs to be understood. They see themselves as the gatekeeper of an charge. that it may become apparent that they are fumbling around with questions and they don't know anything like they do not So, these Pharisees are listening to this and they hear the Were they also blind? Sarcasm. We see, we see just fine what they said back uh, earlier in the previous paragraph. We know Moses. We know the law. We know where that comes from. We know God spoke through him. We see with perfect clarity. Are you saying we're blind too? Jesus answers 
who does not enter the kingdom by the door, climbs in by another way, that man rebels and eats and that kind of life. And they let it be
I'm the one who leads you to food. I lead you to water. I protect you from predators. That's me. And then you go back through me, the door, into the sheep cave at night, and I protect you there. I'm all of Thank you. 
any of them say, I died for you. And that is how you are saved. Do any of them speak to your tongues in the same way? Speak it to tongues in the only way because He's the only one who died to save sinners. I think that is what we're trying to do. If I'm preaching this, I would love to be But the claim that is in front of you this morning is whether you will go with the God who is your maker and who died to reclaim you and make you over again. Or whether you will go with another God who says, your, your job is actually to die for me, to sacrifice for me. There is a problem. He says, it's not my job to die for you. Your job is to die for me. Or whether it's Buddha who will say to you, it's not my job even really to teach you. It's your job to learn and search and struggle and climb up to where I am. Or, whichever it is, the, the new sexual ideology of gender identity. You can achieve your potential, but you've got to sacrifice your body to it. And if you lay down your body, then you can achieve your potential. The potential that you tell you you have. And it's not the same God who gave you that potential. Look around. Stop there. See who comes and dies for you. This king says, you see, because I am your shepherd, an individual relationship with that man who is going blind. And he tells his disciples that. He basically says, I have an appointment with this man right after they tried to kill him in the temple. And what, what kind of a sign is this? Death. But he calls him. He knows him by name. This is not some kind of faceless manager in the corporate structure. He doesn't know anybody beneath him. Much less down on the factory floor. All he knows is the numbers and the productivity and all of those things. That he knows. Profit margin, maybe. Losses, definitely. He knows all that stuff, but the name doesn't know that. That's why people are talking about it. Jesus, the shepherd king, knows
those who study these and they keep following Christ before they know the faith. They recognize Him. Even if they can't see Him, they give that gift. They see Him in and they say, My shepherd, I'm calling. That's why you're here. You're here because you see Jesus, you hear His voice, and even if no one else is listening to that, you know who he is. And so you follow his voice. Verse 5. A stranger, they will not follow. Pointless Pharisee. Here's John coming to speak philosophy. He's pointing to the cutting edge people today. And he's saying, they don't follow those guys, and they don't follow me. You might be able to imitate my voice and do a terrible job of making your imitation of my voice as hard as it is great and increasing wickedness. No one's going to follow him. They will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Well, that was bad enough. Look at the way he's powerful here with his teaching. He teaches that he is seeking out his sheep. He knows them by name. He's knocking at our door. Later on in chapter 10, we're going to kind of get into this. Jesus says, I've got my sheep. They hear my voice. I'm not going to lose one of them. Not one. You brought me here today. It's because he's not going to lose you. It's not a question of me losing him. The question is simply believing in the shepherd who gave Stranger, they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. There is a heavy difference. There is a heavy difficulty to the entire world. Verse 16, chapter 10. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now he's talking about Israel. And John is narrating this. This is telling the story to the Gentiles says, Jesus says, yeah, I've got other sheep, and they're not from this fold, Israel. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So, there will be one flock, one shepherd, one family. That family is essentially the church of Messiah. He believes in Jesus Christ. And I was born of the power of God, not the old Fire and sin. That's old. The future belongs to the glory of God and to His church. And that is how Jesus describes Himself. I'm the Shepherd King, I'm a citizen, and this citizen comes from all the nations. And there's one, one new nation, a new king. Verse 6. Pharisees heard this particular speech that Jesus used with them. They did not understand what he was saying and they mocked him. Well, we're the shepherds. We're the gatekeepers and the sheep belong to us. So look, if you're that person today, I, I can sort of trust the authority that they 